Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Late one night, while the sun was shining bright, two dead boys got up and began to fight. Back to back, they faced each other, pulled out their knives, and shot each other. If you don't believe my story is true, ask the deaf man. He saw it too. Or the blind man. Blind man. The deaf sheriff heard the noise, came around the corner, and shot those two dead boys. Yeah, well, oxymorons. They're kind of fun. you got to stop and think about it and say, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, words you put together that kind of don't make sense. Act naturally. Yeah, just think about it. Um, the silent scream. She was a terribly good child. And of course, we can move that into the physical realm as, as well. We talk about jumbo shrimp, plastic glasses, paper towels. So paradox fills our language, and also it translates over, it, 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 it fills our faith as well. Things that, that we hear and that we read and that we, we just really don't understand because they seem at cross purposes. To think for a minute that, that God, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, enters into creation as a helpless baby. That just doesn't make sense to us. Or some of Jesus' teachings, when he talks about, uh, if you want to be the greatest of all, then you should become a servant to all. Because, as you know, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Oxymoronical, paradoxical. And then, of course, the one that I want to talk about this morning, we've, we've, we've sang about it, is that somehow... We get life through death. That we get life, we get eternal life because of the death of Jesus on the cross. That was, uh, as we were singing the old rugged cross, I'm, uh, th there's so many hymns that have kind of fallen out of favor because uh, the cross is not a very popular message these days. In fact, some of the newer sanctuaries that are being built, they don't even have crosses in them. You know, they, look more like, they look more like theaters, uh, auditoriums, and you say, well, where's, where's the cross? We have two. Well, three. There's one in the middle above Jesus' head there in the, in the window. But... Uh, there's a whole section of, of, of hymns beneath the cross of Jesus. In the cross 
of Christ I glory when I survey the wondrous cross, the old rugged cross. In his cross I glory at the cross. Calvary covers it all. And then we get a little bit more graphic and then we really want to kind of step back. Are you washed in the blood? There's power in the blood. The blood will never lose its power. Jesus, thy blood and thy righteousness. I know a fount, nothing but the blood. And then it goes to the wonderful grace of Jesus. Grace greater than all our sin. And then, of course, amazing grace. And that's really, that's where we want to go. We want to jump to the amazing grace part. We don't want to think about what it means and what had to happen for us to receive that grace. It's, it's not good conversation in polite company. But it's something that as believers we need to understand or wrestle with trying to understand. If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to open them to the ninth chapter of Hebrews. As I'm, as I'm working through uh, chapters uh, 8, 9, and 10, uh, I, I find myself oddly reminded of working my way uh, last year through the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11. Very difficult past passages of Scripture. And oh, how I so wanted to just go from chapter 8 in the book of Romans to chapter 12 in the book of Romans. That's great stuff. Uh, but that 8, uh, uh, 9, 10, and 11, that's, that's some tricky stuff. It's some deep stuff. And you gotta, you got to kind of wade through the, uh, through the weeds and the bushes to really grapple with what Paul is trying to tell us there. And the same thing is true in the book of Hebrews. Uh, chapters 8, 9, and 10, this is this, we, and we've talked about this, this is the deep dive, people. As the author of Hebrews earlier on kind of chides the reader saying, you, you know, you've existed on, on mother's milk for just way too long. It's time to start digging in to, to a nice steak dinner, uh, really wrestling with your theology, what you believe, why you believe it, why it is meaningful. And it is so important for us today because the world around us is changing so rapidly. And there are things that you just don't talk about in polite company. And even for Christians, talk of the cross and, and of the blood sacrifice of Jesus. I mean, we're, we're going to celebrate communion today. And this, this sacrament that Jesus gave the disciples, this body, my body, broken, broken for you. This, this cup, a new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. We're reading halfway through chapter 9. Last week we talked about the whole earthly tabernacle versus the eternal tabernacle. And in verse 11 we pick up the narrative. 
When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, it's not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our Consciousness, our conscience from acts that led to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is a mediator of a new covenant that shows those who are called, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of one who who made it, because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood both uh, uh, sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him.
just take a deep breath. Just breathe. Yes, thank you, Hal. Just as best you can through the through the masks. Um, we don't want to talk about any of this stuff today. We we want to talk about the good stuff. We want to talk about this amazing grace. We want to talk about the fact that Jesus that Jesus loves us, uh, and, and and we want to talk about the future and and what it what it holds for us. Uh, but sometimes we need to take a step back and really understand what that love actually did and what that love cost and what it took in order for us to be able to stand before the judgment seat of God and have God pronounce us not guilty to hear that we vicariously through the work of Christ are pronounced righteous in God's sight. What underlies all of that? That's what we're dealing with in these verses. When Christ came as the high priest of the good things already here, remember, the old covenant was a good covenant. We just weren't good enough. The old covenant, God saying, if you live this way, you will thrive. How interesting that in the very beginning, he also recognizes that I know you're not going to be able to do it, and so you're going to have to deal with sin in your life. If you acknowledge that there is a moral code that is external to you, then you are going to realize at some point that you fail to meet up with that, and what do you do? Are you at an impasse? And so we have this whole system of sacrifices, and it's largely ceremonial, and it is external. Because things that we do externally do not necessarily reflect what's going on internally. Of course, that's the, that's the origin of the, of the word hypocrite, which was, which was actually a theatrical term. Act naturally. That... that that when you, are, when you are up on a stage, you are pretending to be someone else. And how many of us have gone through life pretending to be, at times, something other than what we truly are? When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made. That is to say, not part of this creation. And that more perfect tabernacle, that, that, that space, that holy of holies. And you'll remember, I said in the past weeks that the, 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 the tabernacle, the temple, represented a nexus between uh, uh, the, the physical world and the spiritual world. And for the high priest to enter into that, 
uh, holy of holies was, was literally to enter into the presence of God, to enter into heaven. That's what was going on there. But now Jesus goes to the actual, not the copy, but the actual presence of God. A better testament, one that's not made. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, through who the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse us, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? All the things that were set up in the, in the original covenant that supported the moral foundations that God gave to us were all external, and they were all temporal. Jesus comes along and deals with the internal. Because now, as we've read last week or a couple of weeks ago, the laws of God are written on our hearts and our minds. So we have an internal transformation as opposed to an external cleaning. And it is an eternal act instead of a temporal act that must, must be repeated over and over again. And then how much more excellent is the sacrifice of Christ than the sacrifice of, 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 of bulls and goats and, and, and heifers and stuff? Think about this. One is voluntary, and the other is involuntary. You think that goat, that calf, whatever it was, that morning said, ooh, ooh, choose me? They were clueless. It was involuntary. By the time they realized what was going on, it was too late. Not so with Jesus. He knew. He understood. And far from being involuntary, it was, it was voluntary. And all those sacrifices of, of, of bulls and, 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 and calves and heifers and whatever else that they did, those were all prescribed by law. Christ's sacrifice is prescribed by love. to the point where the internal transformation can occur, where we can know in the deepest places of our hearts and minds that we are forgiven. And if you don't know that, then you don't know Christ. It's not something that we could ever do. It's not something that we could ever accomplish through some external act. It is something that we must submit to. That Jesus did it. And grace is ours. Forgiveness is ours. The conscience can now be cleansed. For what purpose? So that we may serve the living God. And we serve the living God as we serve one another. It's not about me. 
It's about you from my perspective. And how we come alongside of one another, speaking truth in love, supportive, walking together. I love this part. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive a promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the old covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is enforced only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while those who made it are living. And this is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves and together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and the people. Uh, and, and he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything in it and, and, and used all in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Do all of you have a, 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 a will, uh, an estate plan? If you don't, you should. I'm told that uh, uh, an unbelievably high percentage of attorneys die intestate which means without a will, which is ridiculous. It is so important. Here's my pitch. You need to do two things, people. You need to do two things. You need to have a, you need to have a will and, a, and, a, and, a, and an estate plan. You need to have that. And the other thing you need to do after you have that is set your kids down and say, here it is. If you have any questions, ask now. Because once I'm gone, this, right now, this, this is just paper. It doesn't mean anything. I can change it tomorrow. I've gone to all this trouble. I've created this will. I've created this, uh, this estate plan. But the reality is, it's just words. It doesn't go into effect until I die. I mean, that's the truth of it, right? I can't even begin to tell you of the pain and the fighting that I have witnessed when children come together after mom and dad are gone to sit down and try to figure out what mom and dad were actually trying to say. Don't do that. Set them down and explain it. This is how it's divided up. You get this, you get that. You don't get anything. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let them ask you questions while you can answer them. They can't read your minds. And the reality is, is that once you shuffle off this mortal coil, that's when the document comes into effect. And an attorney is going to knock on your door and say, okay, here it is. And then the fun begins. 
Think about that in terms of what we just read here in Scripture. It's often called the last will and testament, right? The New Testament is Jesus' last will and testament for us. But it doesn't go into effect until he dies. A uh, long time ago, yeah, we, we had, a, we had a, a, a gentleman, a member of the church, uh, Bill Miles. Anybody remember Bill Miles? Yeah, Bill Miles. He worked with the youth. Great guy, great guy. Uh, he said something one day that just has stuck with me all these years. He says, you know the real value of a blood sacrifice? Bill, I'm all ears because this is a whole area where we kind of wig out a little bit. He says, the real significance of a blood sacrifice is that once given, you can't take it back. It's permanent. And that's what Jesus did for us. His blood, his life, he willingly gave Because according to the good covenant that God gave with the moral foundation and the sacrifice, God made it very, very clear that there was no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And and, and, and we can can go round and round on this and try, oh my gosh, it's 10 o'clock. We can go round, oh my gosh. We can go round and round and probably never come to a full consensus of what this actually means. But there are some some things that that we have to take on faith and recognize that there's something deeper going on. And oh, by the way, this was God, what God gave to us. This is something that is external to what we are. And it 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 is what it is. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. So evidently there was a border dispute between heaven and hell. And they realized that it was going to have to be adjudicated in a court. And so God says to Satan, I'll see you in court. And Satan says, yeah, where are you going to get a lawyer? Just kidding. I know some wonderful lawyers. And the reality is that, is that God could have come back and said, my son is the ultimate lawyer. And that's the, you know, we, we, we talk about the fact that, you know, once, once our parents are gone and we have to, we have to uh, adjudicate that, uh, uh, that last will and testament, not knowing what they're thinking and so on and so forth, that's not true with us. And that is, is as important as the death of Christ is on the cross. We must couple it with the resurrection because Jesus does come back and then he lays it out and says, let me explain to you what's going on here. I have made a way for you to enter into the presence of God. You really are forgiven. You are loved. Hold those two together. Don't diminish the cross in any way, shape, or form. Understand it. Grieve over it. Embrace it. But then also know that he rose from the grave and he is our counsel. He represents us in God's ultimate court. And in that courtroom, 
we hear the gavel slam down and the verdict is read. In Jesus Christ, you are not guilty.